you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Okay, uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of scriptures here in uh, this morning. Uh, the main one is going to be found in John chapter, uh, not John, yeah, John chapter 16. Um, we're going to be looking into another idea behind the, the song, O Holy Night, uh, where we find this, this phrase, A Weary World Rejoices. This morning we're going to look at another phrase in that song uh, that causes this weary world to rejoice, and that is the phrase, A New and Glorious Morn uh, is Born. Okay, so we're going to try something here. This is going to be a little bit of a kind of a Christmas carol trivia thing. But can you think of a song that either has the title or mentions night in it? A Christmas song that mentions night in either the title or somewhere in the song. Bonus points if you can sing the line. Josh. Uh, awesome, he sang it and uh, he just took the easy one. Okay, and well, actually, the easiest one is. Oh, holy night, right? So, okay, we just eliminated those. Can you think of any others? Okay, it came upon a midnight clear. Okay, good. While shepherds watch their flock by night. Okay, while shepherds watch their flock by night. Now that just messed up. Everybody's like singing songs to themselves in their head. (laughs) Oh, which one's that out of? Any others? Okay, now what's going to happen is, you're, you know, because we've been listening to Christmas music endlessly since uh, September uh, in some places, you're probably going to be hearing a lot of Christmas songs in the next couple of days, and you're going to be amazed at how often the word night or the idea of night um, and darkness uh, comes to play in the Christmas story. Have you ever wondered about that? Why, why is the birth announcement of all things couched? In nighttime, when did you know? While shepherds watched their flocks at night, and it's even told us to that in the, in the story, Luke chapter two, the Christmas story, that uh, that these angels came to the shepherds in the middle of the night, and their glory shone around them, and the shepherds were terrified. Um, I think God was doing something on purpose when He used the idea of night. Um, night is a time wherein there is darkness and often where there is darkness there is misery in the darkness Uh, we're in the shadow of something that is robbing joy uh, out of our lives and the idea of a new and glorious morning coming uh, implies that there will be an end to that misery and as I said we're going to look at a couple references the first one I'm going to jump back to is in Genesis chapter 1 of all things, where a word is used in there for darkness. And it's a Hebrew word, and it's kashek. And this Hebrew word figuratively is used for, of all things, misery. All the way back to the beginning, God gives us a word that implies misery in it. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 reads as follows, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. 
and there was light. Now, did you notice that? I, I, I never caught that before, that there was darkness before there was light. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. It's never mentioned that the darkness was good. But this light that God brought forth was a good thing. And God separated the light from the darkness, and and God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and then there was morning, the first day. So all the way back to the very beginning of this story in the Bible, we we see this idea of darkness and night and God bringing a change to that. Now, if we jump ahead into Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, boy, that's a long chapter, all the way to verses 76 through 79, uh, this was about John the Baptist coming, his birth and, uh, and his mission to prepare the way for Um, what's called in this text a sunrise that shall visit us and this time because it's in the new testament the word that's used for darkness in this in this text is greek and the greek word is skatos so we go from kashek to skatos and skatos can be used for a lot of things like ignorance respecting divine things But it also accompanies the idea of ungodliness and immorality and the consequent misery of judgment that comes from that darkness. Now, John's dad, Zechariah, made this, inspired by the Spirit, made this prophecy concerning this prophet, John the Baptist, and he said this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the God Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now he's talking about Jesus coming. He was talking about the birth of, of Christ. And he describes, it's interesting that God describes that as a sunrise uh, that shall visit us from on high. So again, this idea of darkness and then light. Night and then day. For some people, Christmas time can be a dark night of the soul. Um, It can be a period of intensified misery. And I think that's good for us to remember and good for us to recall and maybe even good for some of us who suffer that darkness during Christmas uh, to hear that and to recognize that. For some, Christmas can um, be hard on them because of social isolation. Okay? And there's this loneliness that happens. And maybe they're already not good at getting connected to a group of people around them to surround them with. And then when Christmas comes and everybody's gathering around in homes and parties and celebrations, it just seems to intensify their own isolation. Uh, for some, they could be grieving. There could be a loss that they're facing right now. And it could be the first time. It could be the 50th time. It's still tough to grieve. Uh, at Christmas. Financial strain makes us a dark time for some people. Um, maybe there are some who would really like to be able to give good gifts to others, but they just don't have the ability right now, and there's this pressure that's put upon them uh, to somehow deliver. 
Uh, and then they're sad. S-A-D. I don't know who came up with this one. But, you know, leave it to doctors. It, it's, it's an acronym for Seasonal Affective Disorder. Okay? And they call it sad. Okay. And, and that happens about this time of year. And it's, you know, a lot of factors kind of come into play. But, you know, we face anxiety and we face depression at an intense uh, state during this season. For others, there's family issues that are going on. We talk about the joy of gathering with family at Christmas and the holidays, but, but sometimes that's, that's tough because of family dynamics and situations that could be going on, and that makes Christmas a little bit more difficult for them. Um, I already mentioned the expectations that are often put upon us during this time of, of uh, buying things and giving things, and, and then there's this overcommitment that we might might fall into when we try to get everything done that we can possibly get done and make it all perfect and no I won't look at my wife while I say that <laughs> but but do you feel that sometimes like it's Christmas I got to make this perfect and and we just get so stressed out and we feel so miserable and then of course especially living up here at least it's not Alaska <laughs> the extended hours of darkness I think Ray's the only one that really gets by with that, you know. He's used to it. (laughs) But that darkness just sets on us and sets on us. And it becomes laborious as the months go on past Christmas. And what we feel in that is, is misery. Now, I gave you an idea of Hebrew words and Greek words. Well, misery just translated from, or translated or defined from an English dictionary, uh, says this. There's three ways that we define it. And one is a state of suffering and want that is the result of poverty or affliction. You know, we might say war has brought misery upon thousands in, in certain ref, uh, regions. Um, Misery is also described as a circumstance, a thing or a place that causes suffering or discomfort. Um, we might say the flu makes me miserable. All right, uh, Christmas commercialism makes me miserable. Work, final exams make me miserable. See, there's, there's those things that we say, these circumstances or, or such. And then the last one definition is given is a state of great unhappiness and emotional distress. As I said, the loss of someone dear is a miserable thing. Or maybe even sometimes this, I think there's people that, that can relate to this. I've made my life a shambles because of decisions I've made. Or I hurt so deeply because of the decisions that other people have made and how they affect me. And that's miserable when we're in that state. I don't think we have to look very far. Just watch the evening propaganda at 5 or 6 o'clock. And we see that this world is a world that is weary with misery. And it seems like as a human race, as, as mankind goes, we're probably better at inflicting misery upon others than vice versa. That's why it's so important that Jesus came. So now I want to go to our main text, John chapter 16, where we see Jesus speaking about turning misery into something else. Just as God changed the darkness into day, 
Just as he promised that Zechariah will prepare the way for a new sunrise that will come upon this, this dark world. And instead of going to Christmas, we're actually going to Easter now in John chapter 16 because uh, the whole story needs to come together. We can't just talk about a baby in a manger when we talk about Christmas. We have to talk about the reason that baby was in that manger, why he even came in the first place. And we find in John chapter 16, straight from the horse's mouth, Jesus talking to his disciples, preparing them for a deep, deep misery that they were about to experience, and that was his crucifixion. So this is what he says in verse uh, 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, he had mentioned that earlier uh, in this chapter. So they were saying, what, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Yeah, and, and that's really us as human beings. That's, that's us as disciples of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? What does he mean by this? We don't understand. You see, they're already, they're already entering into the phase of, of misery. You know, because we're usually, I don't get this. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't, I don't, See the purpose in this or the sense in this. <clears throat> and so in the same way, they were, they were going, well, Jesus just told us something that should comfort us, we think, but we don't know what he means. So they're actually more confused than anything else. Verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And, and he's hinting to what's going to happen as a result of the crucifixion, that the immediate result is going to be the sorrow of the disciples, watching their teacher, watching their rabbi, their master, their friend, endure the suffering that he's about to suffer. But he says, while you're suffering, because of the crucifixion, there's going to be joy brought into this world because of the crucifixion. Because of the price that Jesus was paying for all of our sins. And then he gives them a word picture. Verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, you don't understand what Jesus just said there unless you've actually been present during childbirth. Because it is a strange thing. And the fact that Jesus said it the way he said it made me wonder, sometime during his 30 years or so on earth, did he actually, was he present at a childbirth? Or did he maybe even assist in the childbirth? And then as I thought about that, I thought, well, that's just silly. Because Jesus has been present at the birth of every single human being that has ever existed and will exist. 
We're reminded that this is God in a body talking to us here. And he uses a story, and, and as I was reading that, I go, man, when I read that when I was probably 23, 24 years old or so, I kind of probably went, yeah, okay, I get it, kind of thing. But when I was 30 years old and my first child was born in my presence, and, and I watched my, my beautiful wife go through the misery of pregnancy, it's, it's interesting because we always talk about, oh, I'm so happy with you. No, it's a miserable thing. <laughs> oh, my back hurts. I'm throwing up every time you brush your teeth, you know, and things, <laughs> things like that. And, and, and by the time the end of the term, the hour has come, as Jesus said, they're just, just get this thing out of me. <laughs> it's been a long nine months. It's been hard. And then comes labor. Okay, I've had three kidney stones. And I, I become the biggest baby in the world when that happens. And when that kidney stone is moving through me, feeling like it's a 16-pound bowling ball glazed with broken glass, <laughs> I, I, I go, God, thank you <laughs> that I am a man because <laughs> I could not endure childbirth. Simple. It's, a, it's an amazing thing that God has created ladies so incredibly freakishly strong to endure that. <laughs> My wife just like, <laughs> So I'm watching this whole thing and, and I'm just going, I, I, you know, my wife is in such incredible pain I, I, and there's nothing I can do other than stand her and let her yell at me <laughs> about this, you know, and remind her to breathe. <laughs> Things like that. And then it happens. The baby is in this world now, no longer inside. And it's just like somebody flipped a switch. All that pain, all that suffering, all that anguish, all that misery instantly turns into joy. As the mom holds that that baby to herself. And, And I can remember just standing there going, that's a miracle. I just, I've never seen people in pain. And I've seen lots of people in pain. Um, when I was a, a firefighter EMT dealing with, with trauma and, and that sort of thing. As a pastor, I've seen people go through very difficult things. But I've never seen anything like that where someone was in pain and then instantly turns into joy. And of all things, Jesus uses his own nativity scene to describe to his disciples what his death is going to be about. He says, yes, like that, like that woman in birth labors, who is in anguish, who is miserable, so will you be, but yet your joy shall come upon you. He closes off this with verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And and what a promise that Jesus was giving prior to his death and resurrection. And, And I find it interesting that he doesn't say, you will see me again. He says, I will see you again. Meaning, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to bust out of that grave. I am going to tear through the fabric of death. I'm going to step from one state of being into another. I am going to do whatever it takes 
even destroy the impossible, that you will see me. I will do that. I will make sure to see you again. And and that's the promise to each and every one of us, no matter what anguish, no matter what pain, no matter what suffering or sorrow, no matter what misery we might be enduring, that promise that Jesus gives to those who have faith in Him and their heart is, I will see you again. I will see you on the other side of this. There's a song that is played at Christmas time. It's one of my favorite ones. It's just a beautiful melody. It was written by uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a poet who lived during the Civil War years. He was a poet. He didn't write the song. Somebody else came along and put the melody to it. It's amazing and it's beautiful. And uh, I want to do something a little different today before I close off the sermon. I'm going to ask Matt to come up and play that song for us for your listening enjoyment. (laughs) But listen to the words of this song. It's a familiar one, you'll know it. But uh, listen to the words of this song.
arrangement of Longfellow's uh, poem turned into a song called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. No mention of night in this song, but yet a story of intense darkness and misery that was going on during that time. You see, Longfellow lived during the Civil War era, and that's why you see so often him talking about there is no peace on earth, I said, because he was watching a nation being torn in two, and thousands upon thousands of young boys and men who would never celebrate Christmas again as a result of this thing. Uh, He grew, or I shouldn't say he grew up, his children grew up getting in a sleigh or a wagon and going out on Christmas Day, and the church bells in the town would would start ringing, and that would just light up his children's faces as as they heard those bells ringing. But yet the country was clouded in the darkness of the Civil War. And then something happened. Longfellow's journal entries on Christmas morning began to grow more and more morose. Until finally, he didn't write anything down on Christmas morning. You see, he went into a deep, deep Christmas misery. Because he buried his wife, Fanny, on the day that should have been their 18th anniversary. 
Fanny had cut the hair of their youngest child, and as it was the custom of that time, she was sealing it in an envelope with the, the sealing wax, and the wax in the envelope ignited, and Fanny's dress ignited, and to get away from her little daughter and another daughter that was sitting nearby, she ran into Longfellow's study where he was taking a nap. He woke up to see his wife in flames. He picked up a small throat rug and tried to smother the flames, but it was not sufficient. So this is what Henry did. He embraced his wife to him. And that's why he has this big bushy beard. If you ever look him up on Wikipedia or something like that, you'll see a picture of this glorious white beard. Sorry, Hunter, if you're still grieving. (laughs) And the reason he grew that beard was because he was scarred. From his wife, burning to death in his arms. That's why he said that uh, in one of his journal entries, the, the children say that there is joy on Christmas, but there is none for me. So deep was his grief, Longfellow feared that he might die from it, or at the very least be committed to an asylum. And then two years after losing his wife, his son Charles... <laughs> lay grievously wounded from a bullet that struck him in the left shoulder and passed underneath his right shoulder blade. They did not know if he would pull through. Uh, That happened during one of the Civil War battles. The bells that Longfellow's children cheered to hear were now just a, a clamorous cacophony to Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And his pen fell silent in his grief and in his misery. And then one Christmas morning, on Christmas Day, Longfellow heard the church bells ringing, and he remembered another child. A child born in a manger. A child born to set men free. A child born with the proclamation of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. A child that would bring love and hope and peace and joy. The one thing he he wasn't experiencing. Joy to the world. And he thought, oh, how the bells of heaven must have rung on that day. And the more he thought about Christmas... And the meaning behind Christmas and the person behind Christmas. The deeper his realization came that Fanny was not lost, but because of their faith in Jesus Christ, he would one day hold his wife again. For all of eternity. And Longfellow picked up his pen and wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. That's a real-life story of what Jesus was talking about when he said to his disciples, You will have sorrow, but I will bring you joy that no one can take away from you. It's, it's the story of John, John's birth and his dad, Zechariah, is talking about a sunrise that would come and visit us. It, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the story that there was darkness, but then God said, Let there be light. And the light was good. The story that we're told at Christmas time is that no matter how deep your misery might be, 
A new day is coming. And Jesus says, I will see you on the other side. I want to close with this. Um, If you want to turn there with me, uh, this is a Christmas gift I'll give to you. Jeremiah chapter 31. I would encourage you to highlight this passage, draw a box around it, whatever you do, and and maybe read this on Christmas morning. (laughs) Because we all know who Jeremiah is, right? The miserable prophet. (laughs) The miserable prophet. Yeah, it's tough reading Jeremiah sometimes. But tucked away in the midst of all the misery of watching his nation go to pieces, watching the world fall apart around him, watching people stop caring about God, he he was given this to give to the people. And, and, And as I thought about Israel's condition, it was probably their darkest time as a nation when Jeremiah was their prophet. And their misery was deep too. And then this promise came. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare to the coastlands far away. It says, He who scattered Israel will gather them, and he will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. I'm sorry, that's verse 10 where I'm starting. Verse 11 carries on. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the heights of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice and dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them. And give them gladness for sorrow. In in Israel's darkest days was this promise of a new morn coming. Sometimes we have to put things in perspective and remember the big picture. That new morning didn't come for 70 years. For many of them, they, they would not live to realize that promise. But that didn't make the promise any less real. Their children would know it. Their grandchildren could know it. And if they kept the faith, they'd they'd know what it meant in the big picture. And we must be reminded of the same thing. We might not see that dawn on this earth. But a new dawn is coming. It's promised. And no matter how deep, no matter how much we may languish right now in anything but joy, no matter how dark it might seem to us, our circumstances, a situation, a state, no matter what it might be, no matter what the news tells us in the evening, no matter how hopeless or desperate a situation may seem, The bells are going to ring. Let's pray. Lord, Christmas should be a a time of joy.
happiness, cheer. But truth be told, many of us, even when we're singing the songs, it, it, there's, there's a bitter sting in our hearts and souls because something might be robbing us of that. Lord, we come to you today and we are thankful because it is the desire of your heart for us to know your joy. Lord, it's the desire of your heart for us to, at some point, go through that miraculous transformation of the the woman giving birth to holding that, that bundle of promise in her arms. Lord, I can't imagine a deeper sadness penetrating into the heart of heaven than watching the God Most High die on a cross at the hands of sinful men. Maybe they didn't fully understand either that he was dying for those sinful men. But Lord, just as we probably can't imagine the sadness of heaven on Friday, what the joy must have been like on Sunday. Lord, help us to remember that that's why you came to this earth. To turn our sorrow into joy. A joy that no one can steal away from us. A joy that no circumstance can shatter. A joy that will permeate our lives and penetrate all the way into eternity. A joy that's found in receiving your gift, your Christmas gift to us, your one and only Son, Jesus the Christ. Lord, let there be light. And may we also remember that there's people around us, God, that might be walking in darkness. And you've entrusted to us the stewardship of being able to to bring joy to them. So Lord, if right now in our heart we know someone who's hurting, someone who's going through a difficult time, somebody who might be intensely lonely, God, can we be the gift wrapping that brings your gift into their lives as well? Lord, may this be done for your name's sake and for the glory of your Son and and for your, for your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.